The Construction Employers Podcast, your connection to what's happening in the Northeast Ohio construction industry. Brought to you by the Construction Employers Association. Hello, everybody. This is Tim Linville, and today with me I have Glenn Shumate, Executive Vice President of CEA, and I also have one of our Hall of Fame, newly inducted Hall of Fame members, Andy Natale of Han Lozier and Parks. Thank you. Thank you for coming, Andy. Oh, it's an honor. Thank you so much. Morning, Glenn. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, good to be with everyone. And I want to start with what is Andrew J? What's the J? Joseph. Joseph. I was born on the Feast of St. Joseph. Okay. March 19. It's a big Catholic feast day, and it's very big in the Italian community. So it was a real important thing for our family. So it probably continues to be, doesn't it? It sure does. <laughs> it sure does. Cool. Well, we had a um, our annual clan bake last night, our 90, 98th annual clan bake for CEA. And during the clan bake, we inducted three new members of the CEA Hall of Fame. Andy, you were one of those three, and we're proud to, to, to honor you. And certainly a long and distinguished career that, that continues. You teach a ton of classes for us, um, whether it's building information modeling, risk management. Uh, today, you just got done teaching a class for us. What were you doing? We did. We presented on schedules, on construction schedules and pre-planning of activities and confirming and verifying how all of the aspects of how a project is going to be built is incorporated properly into contracts throughout the various participants on a project and how you monitor it and track it throughout the course of a project. From from a legal perspective or just as an operational matter? Well, we actually did it from two different perspectives. Han Lozier has uh, got two very experienced constructors, uh, Chad Van Arnhem and Jeff Rausch, who are actually experienced in building some very complex projects around the state and they work with us. So Chad was here presenting actually how you build that schedule and how you update that schedule and track progress. And then Aaron Evancheck and I were discussing what we typically see as the types of issues that come up during a project and how you document them properly and how you have to tie them back to the contract for purposes of compensation or time extensions, whatever it may be. So were there a couple of key takeaways or areas that uh, some of the contractors honed in on this morning? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, maintenance of the files, the electronic files, uh, the actual contemporaneous project documentation that goes into tracking progress. We had a great discussion with uh, great groups of people. It was really interesting because the contractors that were here today actually sent several different people right from various aspects of their companies. So you had field engineers and field superintendents and project managers and project executives that gives them the ability to really see this and start to evaluate internally their processes of how this is done. But the concept of maintenance of those records, the contemporaneous project files, as well as how they're actually viewing the schedules, what types of electronic files, are they receiving? What types of paper files are they receiving? What types of transmittals and submittals are being maintained? The the very nuts and bolts of how things should happen. Sure, sure. So there were kind of a packed room uh, the last two days of uh, 
your firm's uh, presentations. Yesterday was delayed claims, and today's uh, topic had equal interest. And, you know, it's really a testament, I think, to yourself and your colleagues at, you know, your firm who have great subject matter knowledge and expertise, but deliver it in a way that is very relatable and understandable and really is, um, uh, you know, communication oriented uh, that, that they, they're gaining knowledge and perspective, but I think that you make it kind of conversational and uh, a lot of good takeaways. We had, uh, we have a waiting list actually for future classes that there's so much demand and interest, but you know, what, what do you think, for you, what's the what's the driving force? Because you're really a very passionate and deliberate, you know, uh, person that imparts a lot of knowledge and gives of yourself to help contractors, you know, kind of understand what they should be doing. Where's that? Where's that come from in you? Well, it's interesting the way you put it because sometimes I have been accused of having very serious personality problems, <laughs> uh, and I am the very first one to admit that. By your clients or by your opponents? <laughs> oh, well. even by my family. <laughs> no question about it. But the uh, I am a passionate person. I love what I do. I love the people that I work with. And uh, the teams that I'm with at Han Lozier are the lawyers that are there are amazing. The technical people that are there are just incredible. But they have this level of ability to dig in and learn things and understand things and bring them back down to the basics and make them easily understandable. And it's really a focus of helping others. You know, we're really here to help others. We're here to make a difference for others. We're here to guide people through things and help them uh, make it easier for them, make it easier for other people. And that's where our focus is. But in terms of the passion, I absolutely hold a belief. It was the way I was raised. Uh, I like sometimes when I'm in a meeting and people get a little excited <laughs> and they'll apologize. And I'll frequently look at them and say, it actually gets louder at Christmas dinner at my house <laughs> than it is right now in this meeting. You know, it's, but that passion, that level of investment is really just tied to how much I care. Mm -hmm. I just care. And my view is you can never care enough. Uh, there's one time, a long time ago, I was working with a lawyer that said, you know, your problem is you care too much. Mm -hmm. And I remember looking at that individual and saying, I think I'm in the wrong place. Mm -hmm. Sure, um, You can't care enough. And I think through that, I know that through that level of just understanding and empathizing and listening that that brings a lot of passion out in me and it brings a lot of passion out in our team members because it makes a difference. It really makes a difference. So I read last night that um, you first volunteered at CEA your first year of practice. When was that? How long have you been practicing? 1989. 1989. You were already volunteering here. What were you doing here then? I was helping at the time Mr. Applebaum uh -huh. uh, in connection with some training sessions and uh, ongoing type presentations like we've been doing here over the last mm -hmm. several days and over the last years in terms of presenting various issues to contractors to help them understand how business management type issues come in play with the legal end of things. So that's how I first started. And at that time, Mr. Parada was here. Mm -hmm. My predecessor. Absolutely. So for those who don't know, um, uh, I got started at the same firm that 
I think you got started at, right? Thompson Hine was, was that where you started? Yes, that's where I started. And that's where I started as well. And uh, Jeff Applebaum is one of the senior construction lawyers there. And I think we both worked with him, although I was more on the labor side, didn't really work hand in hand like you did. But Right. Worked frequently with him and uh, Jim Robinault. Yeah. Uh, but really primarily with Bill Ginn. Uh, sure. Who is just most people in the Cleveland construction community, Turner, uh, Gilbane, uh, Great Lakes Construction. Bill Ginn was their construction lawyer. And hmm. he is just the most remarkable person. You talk about passion. Uh, he is everything you can imagine about somebody that's completely invested, completely caring. I remember sitting in his office a long time ago when I first started practicing construction law and he was on the phone with his beloved wife and he was talking about an upcoming party that you probably had attended a couple times yourself uh, down at the Rankin farm. Mm -hmm. And right. he was talking on the phone and it was this incredible discussion that was so in depth and it was about hiring the person to polish the bells on his fire truck. <laughs> and I just remember sitting there thinking, it's unbelievable. This man is going to spend more to polish the bells on that fire truck than I probably will make over the next quarter of a year. <laughs> it was remarkable. But he was a great mentor. Um, the people there were incredible, learned a lot, got exposed to incredible people in the industry. So, yeah, that was great. So you did you know from the very beginning when you started practicing that you wanted to do construction law? Without question. How did you know? I just wanted to be around the people that I had worked with. I actually started working in the construction field with my brother. I was in seventh grade. So we were violating every <laughs> labor law known to man. Yeah. I was running power equipment that, you know, didn't run very well and certainly was had none of the safety equipment that you have. Um, and I worked with my brother and working with him, we would work with other companies like Chincone at the time, which was a big landscaper. And uh, we would work on projects where Gilbane Building was building the TRW headquarters. Mm -hmm. And I had met people like uh, Leroy Ozan mm -hmm. and Mr. Panzeca, Nacy Panzeca, and just, knew these are people that I want to be around. Mm -hmm. They were passionate. They knew what they were doing. They wanted to build something that was great. Their level of expectations and standards was phenomenal. And it was all about accountability. You know, let's get this right. And if we don't get it right, let's get back there and let's get it right and let's get it done. And it was that exposure to very technical things but the hands-on work and just knowing you were working with people that really cared about what they were doing. They were building something, and it was awesome, so that's why. Andy, where'd you grow up and go to high school and college? I grew up in Cleveland, suburb, Lyndhurst, Ohio. Okay. Uh, lived there until I actually was there when I was still practice, started practicing law uh, with my mother and father and my brother, so... My mom, Jenny, my father, uh, Anthony, my sister, Lynette, who's a nurse practitioner at the Cleveland Clinic, okay. and my brother, Carl. Um, I was the youngest, 
grew up in that area, went to St. Clair School up on Mayfield Road, and then from there went to Benedict, and actually I started at Cathedral Latin, and it okay. shut down my freshman year and switched over um, with my football scholarship at the time to Benedictine, uh, the whole 103 pounds of me. <laughs> Went to Benedictine and finished up there. Went to the University of Dayton, uh, where my brother had actually started his college career, and then went to the University of Cincinnati for law school. Okay. Great. Um, so did your brother, is he still in business? I think I've seen the name Natalie out there on a construction company still. Yes, he is. He had CJ Natalie Incorporated mm-hmm. and Complete Construction Site Management. Still works, um, although he doesn't have the big equipment spread that he once had. He does a lot more consulting work. And he has an arm of the company as well that does a lot more of the forensic type evaluation. His company also does a lot of uh, bond default type evaluations Mm. and will come in and actually manage the oversight and completion of a defaulted project. He's done that down in Pensacola recently as well as out in Pennsylvania and some other work coming up now down in North Carolina. That's great to be able to go from the doer to the advisor. Right. That's yeah, good. it's it's, uh, it's been interesting to watch the evolution of that business. And originally when he started, we were pushing lawnmowers around the street, cutting grass. Sure. And I do remember at the time that uh, Alega, Mm -hmm. cement contractors was actually doing some work on our street they were doing sidewalk repair this is before they got into the first mega project that alega started doing i think on the inner belt around as i recall it was around like dead man's curve when Mm -hmm. we first saw wow look at what this company's doing now right back probably in the early 80s but i remember my brother being outside watching them remove concrete slabs in the sidewalk and he looked at me and he said that's what i want to do <laughs> mm-hmm. i can remember that conversation like yesterday wow that's great is he yeah. older than you he is he's about three years older than me that's yeah, cool 58 that's cool i make sure i tell him that all the time <laughs> bet you do <laughs> yeah <laughs> so you've talked about your early years with cea back in 89 and here we are in you know 2019 so that's if my math is right 30 years just about service and involvement with CEA and in what's transitioned or transpired talk from, from a CEA standpoint, what's kept you engaged here for 30 years? The people, the people, the incredible attitude that CEA has to make things better. Uh, that commitment that you all have shown, especially with, the involvement of the two of you, which I've just admired. It's inspiring to watch how you've taken the organization and the outreach programs and the attempts to make education opportunities available, uh, the focus that you've had on making sure the industry has resources available to it, that your members really are receiving great benefit from having advisors that are available to them to help take them to the next step. But it's far beyond that. Um, I look at CEA and I look at its members, and I mentioned a bit last night that the Cleveland construction community, the Ohio construction community, CEA, Ohio Contractors Association, 
there is a fundamental approach where there's a realization life isn't about you. Mm-hmm. You know, it's about much more than that. It's mm-hmm. about how do we make things better for the workers? How do we make things safer? How do we make things uh, better for the public? How do we make the city better? Um, how do we help people understand the importance of advancing others' interests? You know, how do we give back? And that's something, the legal end of things, I don't profess to be the smartest person on earth. Uh, I was raised to understand fundamentally you're here to make a difference for other people you're here to help people and you're here to invest in them and take that time that's what cea has always done for Mm -hmm. its members but that's what the members of cea believe i I know that that sounds a bit lofty but it's so true and Mm -hmm. that's why you know you want to spend time with groups like that it's it's a real blessing I've heard it said over and over again, and I've repeated it just because trustworthy people tell me that construction is a relationships business. Does that ring true to you? And and if so, what does it mean to you? Absolutely does. Um, You always hear the old saying, we used to do this on a handshake. Mm -hmm. And that, that is the fundamental concept of a relationship. You know, there's contract forms now that are bigger than this table, right? And taller than us standing next to them. But when it's all said and done, that contract even comes down to the relationships. Um, What type of understanding is there? What type of ability to listen, to understand, and break things down to a point of what's right, what's fair, what's equitable under the circumstances? Mm -hmm. And in many instances, we know that things go awry driven because of personality-related issues. And Mm -hmm. there has to be a way to work through those things and move beyond those things. But absolutely, without question, it's a relationship business, not just as it relates to who you're working for, but who's working with you. Mm -hmm. And that's another thing that has always just attracted me to the construction industry. Of course, I watched my brother do what my brother did, and that was very inspiring to me. Uh, because I don't know how and where he learned to do it. We had a grandfather that was very, very good at fixing anything. But I would watch my brother build stuff, and I would say, where did you learn that? Because we didn't grow up in that type of a setting, and he wasn't coming out of a business that had taught him how to do that for 20 years. He would tell me all the time, the Discovery Channel. Really? That's where, yeah. He does yeah. say, too, that he could do open-heart surgery because it's all plumbing, and he's seen it on the Discovery <laughs> Channel. So take that for what it's worth. But the investment of the companies in their people, you know, that relationship's there as well. We see mm-hmm. companies like Great Lakes with transition to 100% ESOP and how that company has done so well mm-hmm. because there's that level of trust and understanding among business owners and we see that transition and the families that are involved it it's absolutely heartwarming to watch people like bob zavagno who worked with his father for so many years at cleveland marble and to watch that relationship and and how that company grew and how much better it is now Mm -hmm. um since the passing of his father and with Bob doing what he's done with the people like Ed and others that work with them or four city 
erectors, you know, with Mr. Mergliata and his wife, Betty, which was just like, when you think about it, the perfect team in life, right there, you had it, sure. right? That, that's just, it's all relationships, even internally at the company in those cultures that are driven by relationships, which is taking them to the levels they're at. It's very inspiring. So what does that mean for you as in your practice? How does, how does it come into play with your practice? Not just with having good relationships with your clients, but how does your relationships with the industry help your clients? We have very good relationships, obviously with our clients Um, as well. I think the, I know that the industry understands who we are and the fact that we understand how things are done and how they should be done. And we bring some credibility to the table there, hopefully for the industry as a whole, definitely for our clients. Um, Our approach has always been to help, help make things easier for the people that are building the projects, not just to get involved in a war. Our goal is to avoid that, Mm -hmm. to help people control the outcomes of their situation and to manage their paperwork and to manage their issues and to walk through things and help them even manage the relationships internally as well as externally in terms of risk management, risk control, risk mitigation, all those types of things. But our overall goal has been, and I, from my perspective, we've absolutely mastered it, absolutely. is a teamwork approach at Han Lozier in the construction practice group with mastery of the information, mastery of the industry, and understanding the people that you're dealing with. And most of that comes down to listening mm-hmm. and caring, that, that level of empathy and that ability to listen and understand and be willing to be part of a team. Because in the end of the day, that's what makes the best result. Mm-hmm. I've heard you talk about mastery as it relates to craftsmanship. And, you know, I don't, uh, I'll allow you to maybe put your word that, that phrase on this, but you've talked about artisans, right? So from centuries ago and how that relates to the work and quality that you uh, see construction individuals aspiring for. So share some about that philosophy or perspective well let me start here Uh, in 2007 after i was diagnosed with als lou gehrig's disease all the way back in 2007 oh 2017 okay sorry uh 2017 2007 wow that would be a great thing (laughs) Uh, well right 2017 we went to uh Europe. I took my family and said, we're going to Europe. And we went to Italy, we went to Tuscany, and then we went down from, uh, to Florence and went through Orieto and then down into Rome. And you talk about building and artisans. It's mind blowing. You know, when you think about what we have here is a couple hundred years plus what's there. And it put in perspective even more, you know, the whole concept of the master builder and the artisan and the apprentice and how things are built in that whole model. But coming here, you know, back to where we are, um, the, my view is Cleveland possesses every bit of technical knowledge, experience, artisanship to build the most complex 
projects with people that are right here mm-hmm. in our hometown. Uh, the sub trades, the specialty trades, the vendors, as well as the general trades contractors that are involved and the unions that are involved and the people that are coming out of those union apprentice programs and, and working in the field and being taught the way that we know things need to be done. And mm-hmm. construction is different, I believe, than what we see in a lot of professional organizations or other paper type organizations where things are done electronically. Now you don't have the person teaching you how to do things. Right. I, I thank God every day I had Bill Ginn. I had yeah. David Hooker. I had Jim Robinold. I had Jeff Applebaum that I was mm-hmm. able to learn from, to have them share with me their magic, so to speak. Sure. Right. And we have that so deeply in our construction community here that it's, a real amazing thing to watch and to see what they can build and how they can put it together. Yeah. Construction is, um, in the field, especially is a lot like learning to be a lawyer. You learn on the job for the most part. I mean, you, you need all that law school learning, uh, the books, the book learning as a lawyer, but you don't really become a lawyer till you start practicing it. No doubt about that. And the thing again is it takes a lot of common sense. Uh, mm-hmm. to be able to apply things. and If it you takes, never have a good model, it's it's almost impossible. It is impossible. And mm-hmm. I believe that's true with everything. It's true with the way we raise our kids. It's true with, you know, the way that companies build their culture internally. It's true with the way that a uh, construction company goes out and builds its teams with its subtrades. They have to understand how things are done and what's expected and uh, that level of let's take the time to make sure we understand what we're doing. Mm-hmm. There's a company that's a member of ours, Norris Brothers. That's it might be one of the oldest companies in Cleveland. It's it was founded in the 1860s, I think. Um, and they still have pictures of their their wagons going down the street hauling heavy objects for the construction jobs with horse and buggy. And uh, Teamsters driving those horses. And they still have the barns out back uh, behind their, their office for those Teamster uh, horses. It's so, incredible, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, talk about things being passed down from generation to generation. Well, every time I walk into this office, it's very inviting. You know, the, the Construction Employers Association is a special place because you hold all of that treasure as it relates to what's happened with your members and what's happened in the Cleveland construction community. So you walk in and you see these pictures, right? You see the, the photographs of, of projects that are on the walls here and the individuals that are up on the wall in your main conference room. And you just think, wow, I mean, that is remarkable Mm -hmm. because you could put them up against anywhere, anybody, anywhere in the world. Yeah. And that, that it's just remarkable. Same when you walk into some of the the company's offices. If you walk into the Great Lakes Construction Company and you sure. see these photographs along the wall um, in some of their main hallways where you see these projects under construction mm-hmm. and the equipment that was involved versus what's done now, it's just unbelievable. Sometimes I get jealous for the... Uh, uh the type of office environment or work environment that my predecessors in the 1920s had. And can, the reason I mentioned that is because when we were doing our centennial back in 2016, 
uh, we had a historian go through all of our archives and, and, and dig up things even from the Cleveland Press and, and other um, old news sources that don't even exist anymore. Um, and she, one of the things she found was an old org chart of the CEA. Back then it was called the Building Trades Employer Association. We changed her name in the 70s. But in the 1920s, actually it was in 1920, there was an org chart and it described an organization that's much more sophisticated than what we have here today. In terms of its different arms, it's different. It had a legal department, a marketing department, a, a bonding department. It had every single trade in the industry was a part of this organization. Um, uh, settlement dis, uh, dispute resolution boards, arbitra- you know, arbitration boards, same thing. But it was the complexity of it and the professionalism that they demonstrated in the materials that she dug up was beyond what we have today. So to think like that we are always improving with our technology, with our speed, with our pace that we work at is just not really the case. And uh, so people that I think bypass the apprenticeship concept or the apprenticeship model or learning from your mentors while you're doing, I think they're missing a lot. And I think everybody's realizing that now as I see like IT and manufacturing and manufacturing basically coming back to mm-hmm. apprenticeships when they've left it. Now they want to come back to it, but they don't really want to pay the wages that uh, they used to pay. So it's all about um, the people. Yeah. And it's all sure. about the time you're willing to spend with people Yeah, in order to help them get better. There are also, it, also less attorneys back then, right? Uh, Probably I always, so. I always <laughs> say when everybody cracks on attorneys, I always say uh, we're just doing what our clients want us to do. In many instances, that's correct. <laughs> Sometimes uh, it, it, I've always viewed myself as something different than a regular lawyer. Uh, my investment has always been in, in obviously, what a client needs, wants, uh, but also how do we make things better? Absolutely. How do, how do we make something less adversarial? How do we put ourselves in a position where, in the end of the day, there is a lesson that's learned that makes things better. Right. And it goes back to the same concept that you were saying, Tim. It's investment and understanding where things are and how things need to be done and taking the time to teach people. Yeah. A lot to be learned. Andy, you also served as a advisor of sorts, right, or served on kind of, I mean, it's part of a role of a, maybe an attorney to be a counselor, right, of, of law, but... Also, you served in advisory capacities to a number of firms and individuals. Talk about that, which is, you know, imparting knowledge, relationship, and understanding. Yeah, that comes back to what Tim mentioned earlier about trust. I, I've been blessed to be a trusted advisor for a number of people and a number of companies over the years, and that's just based on the level of investment and the level of how much you care comes back to my general philosophy, you really can't care enough. Mm-hmm. So I have been blessed to ser- serve on certain boards or to serve as a representative of a company in their boardroom uh, to help them walk through certain issues and and be involved in that, as well as on you know charitable-type things and spend a lot of time coaching and doing things that really were intended to be outside of the law. It's funny, my mom was there last night, and boy, did she have a great time. Uh, That's cool. She just absolutely, 
my sister was there, uh, my two of my boys and uh, Timmy and Dominic and my daughter, daughter-in-law, mm-hmm. my daughter, my only daughter, <laughs> yeah. Kelsey Rose, uh, and my wife. But my mom was there and she was just so much in awe by the people and by how much camaraderie there was in that building among among people that she went in understanding. These are competitors, mm-hmm. right? They compete for work, and look at them here. Just remarkable. But, um, yeah, it's it's just been an awesome, awesome ride, and there's a lot more to go there. Yeah, for sure. What about, what about your son? You're, one of your sons has written a book, and I haven't read it, but I would like to. What? Tell us about that. Yeah, Timothy. Um, our My son, Tim, who uh, grew up, I used to call him Father Tim when he was young because I was certain that Timmy was going to become a priest. Um, mm-hmm. So I could look at him and make him cry. Right? It was like a power <laughs> thing, uh, which probably explains the evolution of his career because rather than becoming a priest he became an assassin basically for the united states army Uh, but timmy left his junior year of college and and went and joined the united states army and it was i couldn't understand that move and i remember uh as he signed up in 2012 thinking what are you doing you Mm -hmm. have a year of college left and it was a afternoon and we had been cleaning up the yard in november getting ready for winter mm-hmm. and i told him let's go to dinner and i had this entire speech set aside mm-hmm. to tell him what a horrible mistake he was making you know thinking your kids don't listen they just don't listen <laughs> and i had that speech and i know that you've all been in the same place and many people listening have as well and i remember that i took him to Fleming's and I was sitting there with his older brother Nicholas who mm-hmm. has struggled with certain uh, learning disabilities and other things and we were sitting down and I was just about to launch into my speech and Timmy stopped me short and said dad I could tell you're upset mm-hmm. and I said upset you're making a horrible mistake here Tim and he said took me right, took every word out of my mouth, and you guys have known me for a long time. That does not happen. (laughs) And Tim looked at me and said, Dad, he said, you've always taught me that you have to look at yourself in the mirror every day, and you have to ask yourself, am I doing what God wants me to do? Mm. And I know full well I need to join and become part of the armed forces And that's what I need to do right now. And I've thought about it and I've prayed about it. And how do I teach my kids to do that? And how do I legitimately tell them that they need to do what you've told me to do if I don't do it myself? And I was speechless. So he went through and he served uh, flawlessly, received some great recognition by the United States Army. He was medically discharged with a very serious spinal injury. Mm. And while he was there, um, several people encouraged him while there was a time when he wasn't really able to do their hands-on training anymore. Um, He was sitting down at Fort Campbell in the Army 160th SOAR, and he started to write his first book, which was called Reflections of the Man in the Mirror. Mm -hmm. And What he did was that first book, uh, Reflections in the Man in the Mirror, which was published right around 2000, 
end of 16, early 17, uh, uh, recounts his experiences with various individuals in his life that have taught him things. And it doesn't speak in particular of anything in the military, but it speaks about life lessons. And I remember reading that book when it was published, thinking, our kids really do listen. Mm. They hear everything, right? right? right. And they, they do indeed. And then he just recently published another book, um, which is Lessons from Strangers. And it's about his coming in contact with individuals that are complete strangers and what he's taken away. And the fact that the simplest thing that you can do for somebody can make a huge difference in someone's life. And when you read some of those chapters, you just are stopped in your tracks. Um, so it's, it's really amazing. And, and he, this writing thing comes back to, as I said, my experience with construction started in grade school, really being exposed to people that were just to me so powerful. Mm-hmm. Um, these Titans that, you know, today you look at and you think, wow, look at what they've done in mm-hmm. your industry and in, in the construction industry, our industry. But Timmy's first experience with a writer was with a gentleman that came in to his second grade class at St. Rita School, and he wrote some children's book, and he sat down, and he talked to the children. He was a parent of one of the other Timmy's classmates, Mr. Porter, mm-hmm. and Timmy just grabbed onto that. So He's been you, writing ever since. Huh? You just never know. No, he never wrote. I didn't really? know he could really write until he published this book. That's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> That's got to feel good as his dad, though, to, yeah. to, to, to see the significance of what he's writing about and the lessons that he's taken to heart. It really is, because uh, y- you, you realize that they took away what really matters, and what really matters is life isn't about you. What could you do to make something better for somebody else? That's, uh, that's one of the reasons, or that's maybe the most important reason why I'm glad that we started thanking people in the form of awards like the Hall of Fame, for instance, um, being our top-level award that we ever give out here just to express our appreciation. And it actually, it, it, I think it means as much to everybody else who's in the audience as it does to the people that are being honored to say, to be able to say thank you. I think people really uh, need that in their life. I mean, it makes you it makes you feel good inside to, to, well, do, to be able to do that. I... I have to say that having received that award, I told you when I first got your letter in a note that I sent you, I know I've talked to Glenn about it. I cried for the better part of two hours when I opened that and I read it and it sunk in about what it was all about. Um, Particularly since my diagnosis, uh, I have asked myself, have I, have I done what God's asked me to do in my life? Mm-hmm. And it never fails that I get these resounding, well done. Um, I didn't expect it, would have never expected it, still sit here today thinking, how could it possibly be, you know, that this recognition that you all gave me, which I'm honored to re- and blessed to have, um, but it's, it is very meaningful. Um, but as I said said yesterday, when you presented me with that distinguished service award, it's not a, it's really not about me. It's about what did we do and 
I step back. There's not a day that goes by that I don't think of this organization and I don't think of its members and I don't think of my clients and I don't think of who's involved here in construction, whether it's at a worker level or up to the top management of a company and think, what an awesome group. What an mm-hmm. awesome blessing. A lot of good people. Oh, great yes. people. Great hearts. Great families. Yeah. Great families that care very much about their family members, the community, their workers. You know, I watch uh, Don Dreyer recently, right? 40 years at Donnelly's. 40 years. Yeah, his whole career. Unbelievable. Yeah. It's just remarkable, that level of loyalty and commitment. Mm-hmm. So the Hall of Fame um, awardees really are a special opportunity, I think, in time to hear stories from others, right? And they're sharing their experiences, which they've had over their career. And, you know, we've last night uh, Al Sanchez was also uh, an awardee along with you and Gary Knopf. Um, both had very personable and incredible stories and I think all 300 guests in the room uh, were captivated by, and there was a lot of uh, applause and uh, congratulations. And to be able to share that moment with your family, uh, their families, and the rest of the industry, uh, CA family, if you will, I think was was pretty special. And just to think about the number of projects they worked on, and you know, it's the thing you hear about construction a lot, right? Of you know, you hear people say, oh, yeah, I did that job. I worked on that project. And so Al Sanchez and some of, you know, you were talking about TRW, right, as an as example of a project and some of the work that Great Lakes has done around the city and some of the work that Turner and Gobain and Ozan and a lot of our members have done to really have built this city, right, Tim, which was our mm-hmm. um, centennial kind of theme, right? We built the city. And that's the part of, I think, for me, being involved in the construction industry, it's really the two parts. It's the building of the city, and that's both the physical part, but I think it's also the the, the people part, right, and, and seeing their growth and their development. And even in this conversation, Andy, coming back full circle to your imparting uh, knowledge and assistance and, you know, being an advisor and a counselor, you know, two things that also stand out about you are your uh, humility and caring for others, uh, which is a very admirable, you know, trait that, not everyone possesses, right? I mean, a lot of people may have technical knowledge and be great experts at a topic, but your humbleness, your humility, and your willingness to, to serve uh, is noted, you know, by a lot of people and respected. Um, and so I know f- from an association standpoint, we certainly uh, send kudos and thank you and appreciation. And I think it's personal, though, right? It really gets to be heartfelt, which is that whole relationship part of things that, it feels natural. It feels like we're all in the same place working to achieve a lot of the same good. Um, and so we're, I think, very blessed to have individuals like yourself and Al Sanchez and Gary Knopf, who we could recognize um, as being um, very accomplished individuals, but also ones that have served um, our community very well in our industry. So thank you. Oh, absolutely. It's, it's just for me, how could you be more blessed to be around people that care so much and love so much? And it's remarkable. It really is remarkable. And I sit in this chair with, uh, I want to say, not much of a different perspective because it's the way I was raised. It's the way that 
you were expected to be, life isn't about you. Mm-hmm. How could we help others? Mm-hmm. But, you know, sitting here now realizing, well, you know, God threw a pretty good curveball, but I'm going to stick in the box and I'm going to keep swinging. And I never really hit a curveball ever in my life, by the way. <laughs> Neither <have> But <laughs> the, the grand thing is I got a whole bunch of people behind me holding the bat up. And it's my family sees it. And uh, yesterday it was amazing uh, how my mother felt. That's great. That's I mean, talk awesome. about that. To be able to leave and to have my mother realize, although she's always realized because she's heard me talk of people and she knows that, you know, over the years. And my wife, Missy, God bless her, you know, she is just an unbelievable she is. person. And she's been around because she's worked side by side with, with us for so long. Um, and my sons, Tim and Dominic, of course, who work in the field where they're trying to help people with opiate addictions and other things have, but you can't get through life. Life's a true team sport and what a great team CEA and its members are. You know, I, they have lifted up my family and Han Lozier has lifted up my family in such a way that it's just unbelievable. Well, again, we appreciate you. I'm glad we were able to catch you as you're getting done with the class today. We appreciate you doing that and look forward to lots of future uh, courses and, and work with you. Hopefully not so much us as your client, but uh, helping you get other clients. Well, it's, yeah. <laughs> I don't like it when I have to be the client. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're always here for that as well. But more than anything, we're, we're here. Um, Han Lozier and, and I will be around for a long time to help. I know that. And we really appreciate the opportunities always. Andy, also want to say thank you for your generosity to the ACE Mentor Program. Um, ACE Mentor Program is a national program here in Cleveland that we've been involved with for 12 years. We're in 12 high schools, about 200 high school students. We provided um, nearly a million dollars in scholarship support uh, to about 160 students to go into primarily architecture, construction, and engineering, so to join our industry. So your personal and corporate Han Lozier support of the ACE Mentor Program uh, is very much appreciated and respected. And, you know, it's one of those things that we hope from a CEA standpoint with our involvement that we can make meaningful differences. We can allow others to understand and find entry and, you know, a, a passion for our industry. Um, and so I just want to, on behalf of ACE Mentor, say thank you for your support and contributions uh, to ACE. Yeah, absolutely. And you'll see that come for many years. Uh, we've all been given an opportunity. At some point, somebody believed in us, right? Yeah. At some point, somebody opened a door and said, we need your help or we want you to be involved. And that's what happens. And your ACE Mentorship program here is something to just be in awe of, to watch what you've done. I mean, you talk about architects and engineers and constructors, but you also put through some people that ultimately went into finance and accounting. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's just remarkable how many different ways somebody can go and still touch and reach the construction community and help it and continue to give back. But personally, I know I wouldn't be where I was and am today, except for this organization 
and the members of this association who gave those opportunities. So for us, it's for me, for my family, it's easy. And we created the Andrew J. Natale Family Foundation, which is a tax-exempt organization, which is committed to helping provide those opportunities for people and to assist and maintain the faith formation of young men because we know how that matters. It's a great... That's awesome. Being at one of those ACE events and seeing the presentations that were being made. Oh, it's amazing right? to see it those is, kids. It's just unbelievable to they watch. They do as well as I could do. Without question. Yeah. Well, Absolutely. Thanks for saying that. <laughs> <laughs> Andy, thanks again, and congratulations on being inducted to our Hall of Fame. You're, you're well-deserving of that as much as anybody in the Hall of Fame. And, uh, and I know everybody loves you. Everybody appreciates you. And uh, once again, thank you. Thank you very much. I'm so blessed. Thank you both. You're welcome. Well done, good and faithful servant. Amen. And to anybody uh, listening, thank you for listening. If you want to learn more about Andy and his practice at Han Lozier, please take a look at the show notes. Um, We will connect his email, his LinkedIn profile there, and his company bio. Thanks again for listening, and have a great day. Thank you for listening. To find more information about the discussion in this or prior episodes, be sure to check the episode notes section in your podcast app. Get notified and automatically download the latest episode by subscribing to the Construction Employers podcast in the iTunes Store or in Google Play. This podcast is brought to you by the Construction Employers Association. Find us on the web at www.ceacisp.org.